What's up, Impact? Good morning. I love our Sunday mornings together, our fellowship time, and our worship time together, and growing spiritually together. It's amazing. It's so important to be plugged into a local body, and we are so blessed to have you here with us. Now, we have some exciting announcements for you, so check them out. Good morning, Impact Church family. We wanted to let you know that on Sunday morning, starting at 9.30, we have a little breakfast fellowship that we would love for you to be a part of. We have bagels. We have coffee. We normally have fruit and orange juice. If you, coffee, bananas. If you don't like coffee, there's apple cider and hot chocolate as well. We believe it's super important to come together to fellowship, to be there for each other. And we wanted to make sure you knew you were invited and you don't want to miss it. Be here at 9.30 and enjoy this yummy, yummy food. <laughs> hey guys, this is Mr. Gobble. He's actually part of our Impact Church family. And we wanted to invite you to our Thanksgiving lunch, Sunday the 22nd, right after service. It is a bring a dish, so you can see Donna T for more information. Again, that's Sunday the 22nd after service, our Thanksgiving lunch, and it is a bring a dish. Hope to see you then. Go, 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 go. Joy to the world. Impact Kids is obeying. That's right. Impact Kids is back on December 6th. We will be worshiping with the whole family in the main sanctuary. And then after worship, we will be entering in the kids zone. So on December 6th, Impact Kids is back. I don't know about you, but those announcements are pretty awesome. Um, we've got a lot of cool things happening here at church, and we're so glad that you get to be a part of it. We pray that you have an awesome day, that you enjoy service, and we can't wait to see what else God is going to do the rest of this year. Have a good one. Aren't they awesome? Yeah, we love them. We love them so much. We love everybody, right? We love that sense of humor. We love that youthfulness. We love that energy that they have. Sometimes they wear me out, but that's okay. You reach a point where you get you get a pass on a few things, don't you? Oh, how many, how many remember to turn your clocks back? Yeah, uh, you know, I've heard some jokingly say, well, I don't want another hour in this year. <laughs> don't turn the clock. I don't want another hour. Don't give me another hour. It's been a tough year, right? It's been a bizarre year in a lot of ways. And I say that word bizarre carefully. It's been a bizarre year outside the church, inside the church. And, you know, one of the things that it's also been a tough year for some, you know, and one of the things that I've heard consistently since the beginning of the year is he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit is saying to the church. I keep hearing that over and over. He who has an ear. And when I first began to hear that on a consistent basis, I would pray to God, God, give me an ear to hear. Give me an ear to hear. You know, we hear so many other, we're bombarded with stuff, aren't we? And so uh, God, give me an ear, ear to hear what you are saying. And the Spirit of God has been speaking to those who will listen. Amen? He's been speaking to us who will listen about what's going on in the world, what's going on in the church, what's going on all across the nations in our own nation. And, you know, we're in a battle of good against evil. Has anybody figured that out? It's good against evil. It's not Republican against Democrat, black against white, Hispanic against... It's, it's good and evil. That's what it is. And COVID-19, I believe, has caused the people of God to understand that we have to draw a line in the sand. We have to draw a line and say, this is what I believe. This is what I stand for. And it's also has also made the picture much clearer of the real economic and the real spiritual condition and the real political condition of our nation. It's kind of like a lot of stuff got blown away, right? And we're beginning to see the real clear picture on some things. You know, in Second Chronicles seven thirteen and fourteen, I'm just going to kind of paraphrase it. But God said, "When I send a famine or a pestilence or a plague, or a plague, right?" He says, "Then." If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, he said, I'll heal your land. 
And how many times have we prayed? How many times have many people prayed? Second Chronicles seven fourteen. And you know, I just I'm so proud of what you guys have have done in even in this time. And you know, we we've given to nations that were starving because you gave thousands of dollars went into other nations earlier in the spring because they were starving. We have friends in Nigeria and Uganda, and they would tell us that, and you know, just to get a bag of rice is all we're wanting, just to give us a bag of rice. And we're thinking, gosh, we, we get a little upset if we have to go out and spend a little more at a restaurant than what we think, right? But do you know that 62% of Christians that were polled believe that the corona, COVID-19, was a message from God? 62% of Christians that were polled. So that means that 62% should have taken notice and should have made some changes, right? Hopefully that has happened. But I'll tell you what we also realized. We also realized that the days of good, a feel-good sermons was over. I think we've realized that the day of feel-good sermons is over. And we've also been aware of the damage that is done to the body of Christ. You know, it's often circumstances in our life that reveal where our heart really is. And, you know, we ask, how do these things affect us? How do they affect our concern for others? How, how about even our love for God? Who do we trust? Who do we rely on? Who do we run to in times when it's difficult? And, you know, the, I'm, I'm just, I can't thank you enough for what you guys have done. I'm, I'm also thinking about the home that you built in Uganda or helped to complete for the girls who were being mutilated over in Uganda. And you guys put, uh, pitched in that last $5,000 to build that home. And, you know, I'm, I just, you know, even in time of famine, what? God gives plenty. And, you know, a lot of times people say, whoa, I better hold on to my dollar because I don't know what's going to happen. And businesses are closing. Churches are closing. Most people aren't coming back to church. Or a lot of people aren't coming back to church, not most. But we do see, thank God for the Internet and, and what Pastor Zach has done in getting us set up there. So we didn't really miss a beat, although we miss the people that are normally here. We, we still are glad they're able to, to, you know, catch us online. But a few weeks ago, I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, why are so many people not returning to church? Why are so many people not returning to church? And I read a statistic that said 20 to 30% will never return. 20 to 30% will never return. And then there's another percentage, you know, more than half probably are slow in returning. And there's reasons for that. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But you know what troubles me is when I observe people that are afraid to come to church, but yet they go out and they do everything else. That's what concerns me. And that's kind of what sparked this message. And so when I asked the Lord, I said, God, why are people not returning to church? Now, keep in mind, I'm going to explain. I'm not saying there's not reasons for some, I'm, okay? There's valid reasons. But what I heard was the Lord very clearly said, because their hearts are fat. Because their hearts are fat. In Matthew 13, 15, when the disciples asked Jesus, why do you speak in parables? And he said, because their hearts are fat. Their hearts are dull. They're hard of hearing. You know, they, they don't understand. And he says, so I have to speak to them that way. So when I was, you know, as a teacher, you know, I like acronyms. I usually have that or half a dozen points every Sunday. But, of course, as soon as I heard the word fat, I thought F-A-T. Okay, God, what can that stand for? And I thought F is first for fear field. Why don't people return to church? They're filled with fear. Now, we're not saying that the virus isn't real. It is real. It is absolutely real. It's taken lives, and we understand that. We're not belittling that at all. And it is definitely a threat to certain categories of people. And these people should be very, very careful. They should be. But see, we can have unhealthy fear. See, Second Timothy 1, 7 says, God hasn't given to us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. You know, that sound mind means sound judgment and wisdom. So, but unhealthy fear is fear that's not based on the reality or true facts. It's fear that's not based on reality or true facts. You know, it causes a withdrawal from life. It usually, we, you know, we usually run this by unhealthy emotions. You know, I've seen people who have phobias and paranoias, and, and what they'll do is they'll, suddenly they'll get a fear that oh, if I go outside, I'm going to get struck by lightning, and they'll stay inside. Now, that's an unhealthy fear, right? That's an unhealthy fear. Or I've seen people who are just, get, I'm going to get sick, and if I have the least little pain, then I've got this serious issue. Well, that's an unhealthy fear. Most of the time, 99% of the time, that doesn't happen, right? But there's a healthy fear, and that's a respect for something that's based on the facts. That's based on, the, you know, and so if you have a situation or a condition that, 
that the doctor is saying you need to take it easy or be careful, you need to do that. You absolutely need to do that. We, we want people to do that. We ask people outside of families to social distance. We have, we have the balcony up there for those, that, and we want you to do what is necessary. But what we don't want you to do is to have unhealthy fear. We don't want you to fear things not based on reality. Then we get to the A, and the word, the le- the word for the A was apathetic. I think this is where a lot of the church stands. And we know what apathetic means. It means no interest, no enthusiasm, or no concern for church. And you know, we're going to talk about that today in more detail. That's, it's, it's another word is lukewarm, lukewarm. The final one is turned off. A lot of people have been turned off from church. You know, a lot of people are sick and tired of this religious machine we've called church that all you do is you come in, you do your due diligence, you mark it off on a calendar, and nothing happens. We come in and we promise God heals and no one gets healed in your life. We promise God delivers and no one gets delivered. And so we just get turned off with this system called church that has promised so much and delivered so little. The COVID shutdown has given people a chance to examine exactly where they are, and some are just flat turned off. Some are just turned off. But it's also given some people an opportunity to visit either via online or other churches and see that it's not always that way. See, God is still alive. We have people healed, healed here. We have people delivered here. We have people set free here. And so we're more concerned about making disciples than we are counting numbers, right? Right. So we're not concerned about, we're, we're not going to be a shallow church. We're not going to be a hike-filled church. And we're not going to be a powerless church. I did a sermon many years ago called Junk Food Christianity. I might dig that back out. Junk Food Christianity. One time I asked the Lord about why are so many people seem to be so indifferent. He said they're feeding on junk food and they don't really have desire for the real thing. And we think about, you know, if you go out and you eat candy, it's going to kill your appetite for the real good food, isn't it? If you go out and eat junk, it's going to kill your appetite for the real good food. But we want, a, we want food that is, is meat so you can put your teeth and you can go out and you can do something with it, right? But it's a wake-up call for the body of Christ. More than 50% of the churchgoers say their church is not vital when polled. More than 50% say the church they attend is not vital at the end of the day. 57% say they've never had a religious experience with God. And 30% say they've never felt the presence of God in a service. Can you imagine that? Why go? I'd go play golf. How about you? I'd go shopping. I'd do something. I'm not wasting my time on something like that. 92% believe that sharing their faith just isn't important. 92%. 70% of all young people who grew up in church leave the church by their 20s. 70%. What is that saying? So I, I feel like today, and I've really wrestled with this because I think, well, Lord, I'm going to be preaching this to the choir because all you guys are awesome. All you guys are on fire for God. And I, I kept thinking, well, maybe I should go somewhere, go in another direction. But I kept, no, this is what I want you to do. I've not been able to get this off of my mind since we prayed this last Saturday, Saturday a week ago in our prayer time on Saturday night. And I, it's just been playing in my heart, lukewarm, lukewarm. And, and you know, the gentleman that wrote the book that we're, that we're looking at, um, Turning the church around, turning the nation around with our prayers, um, Kevin Zadai. He said he had a five hour encounter with the Lord one night, and most of the time God spoke to him about the lukewarm state of the church. And it was much on Jesus' heart. So I think it should be on our heart too. But you know, I want you to know something. I constantly examine my own heart first. God, is there anything in me that's lukewarm? Is there anything in me, God, that you need to change? You need to put on fire. You need to burn out. Is there anything there? Because, you know, you can stand behind a pulpit every Sunday and still be cold as ice. You know, you can learn how to hype up a crowd. You can learn how to deliver a message and still be as cold and dead as anyone. So I tell you, we don't want to take any chances, do we? But in Revelation chapter 3, we get the picture of the Laodicean church. And and uh, I think this is this is a sobering warning that jesus gave to the church he said write this to the angel a letter to the angel of the, of the church in laodicea now some people think angel represents pastors others say no there's an angel that's assigned to every church he said this is the message from the one who is the amen the faithful the true witness the beginning of god's new creation who's he talking about jesus of course 
He says, I know all things you do that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. I wish you were one or the other. Why? Because, you know, a, a, a lukewarm Christian is dangerous. A dead Christian's not. But a lukewarm Christian can be dangerous, right? Because they go out and they just kind of spread a gospel that's, that has no power. They, you know, I go to church all the time and they live any way they want to live. And so they're thinking, oh, well, I can live like you. So a lukewarm believer is, is dangerous. And so it says, I know all the things you do. I just wish you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm, lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. In other words, he's saying, you make me sick on my stomach. That's what God might be saying to us today. So how would you define a lukewarm Christian? Almost a Christian. That's a question mark. Almost a Christian? How do you get almost a Christian? You're either in or out, right? (laughs) You're either in or out. You're not almost a Christian. You're not almost a person. You are a person, in or out, right? How about salt and light, stale salt and burned out light? Aren't we supposed to be salt and light? Maybe that's what a lukewarm Christian is, somebody that's kind of stale salt and burned out light or hidden light. See, this church was neither dead nor alive. And a lukewarm Christian can cause much damage to the body of Christ. They show up for church, but they're not really sold out for God. Like I said, I'm preaching to the choir. I know you guys are awesome, okay? I'm preaching to the choir. But, you know, if the shoe does fit, wear it, okay? Okay. Okay. So a lukewarm Christian shows up for church, but isn't quite sold out for church or for God. Lukewarm Christians are half-hearted fence straddlers who forfeited their saltness and their light for the attractions of the world. A lukewarm believer is more in, in, in love with the world than they are with God, but they got to make that, you know, I used to work with a guy who went to the, uh, he said he was going, and there's nothing wrong with this church, I think it's an awesome church, but in another town, and he went to the first church because he thought it would help him socially. You know, and so one day he got slapped by God in the middle of his car and got born again. We had a few talks. He comes in. He says, oh, you know, what you saying is true. And he comes in. He's all weeping. He said, God just got me in my car. I had to pull over. See, that's what happens. You, you better be careful. Lukewarm Christians passively serve God. They passively worship God. And they passively witness to others. Passive. They're apathetic. Not pathetic. Remember, that's part of the word is pathetic. But they're apathetic. This, that word apathetic means showing or feeling no interest, no enthusiasm, or no concern. The synonyms for this would be uninterested, indifferent, unconcerned, unmoved, unresponsive, detached, uninvolved, disinterested, emotionless. So that's, that's the characteristic of a lukewarm Christian. And they half-heartedly live their faith half-heartedly they might intellectually say i believe this but when it comes to actually walking it out it's not there it's not there they can tend to be up and down one day and one day they're on fire the next day they're cold one day they're all i'm here for you the next day they're gone they're temperamental like babies you know how babies don't get my way they want that passy in their mouth right they're undependable and they're kind of like that unsinkable Titanic. If you remember that ship, the greatest boat it was supposed to be unsinkable. You know, it was supposed to be a boat floating in the water, but what happened? The water got into the boat. See, we're supposed to be unsinkable. We're supposed to be a part of a kingdom that's not movable. But what happens is when the world gets into the Christian, rather than Christian just being in the world, we start to sink. So verse 17 says, You say I am rich and I have everything that I want. I don't need a thing. This is one of the biggest damages in the body of Christ is success and prosperity. And he says, I don't need a thing. And you don't even realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Can you just see that? Just see the arrogance. Of, oh, man, I got it together. I'm everything. I've got all I need. I don't have any financial needs and I don't have any. I, my family's all doing great. I'm doing super. And Jesus said, but you don't even realize how poor and miserable you really are. So apathy blinds to the reality of our true condition. Lukewarmness will blind us to the reality. We think we're rich when we are in reality poor and miserable. We think we're okay when we're a mess. We measure our lives by the wrong standard and we are deceived. You know, I was in the chemical industry and we had, uh, we had certified standards that we measured everything by. And if it didn't come to that certified standard, then the product was denied, right? But what happens if somebody wants to slip in the wrong standard? And suddenly we start measuring to the wrong standard. And all of a sudden we're sending out all this product that is infected with impurities. And that's exactly what's happened in the church. 
we go back through the decades and we'll see that the standard has lowered and lowered and lowered itself until finally everybody looks like this standard when God's standard is here. That's why Jesus could say, you know, they said, well, look at all we did for you, Lord. We, we cast out devils in your name. We taught, you know, we preached behind the pulpit. We sang in the choir. He says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. He says, he who does the will of my father, he who does the will of my father, what is the will of the father? It's the word of God. So lukewarm Christians are blinded to their true state. They only see things externally. And many times, you know, there's moves of God that will send the wrong message. There's been some moves of God that say your spirituality is measured by the, the amount of material things that you have. Well, you must be blessed because you're wealthy. You must be blessed because you have this big house. You must be blessed. God's blessing you. When that has no, that's no real measure of a person's true heart and condition with God. It's no true measure at all. So they're truly deceived about their condition. And there's no, we talked about deception. I think it was last week, wasn't it? We talked about deception. There's no worse state than to be deceived. And how is it going to be when we stand in front of the Lord one day? Do we want to hear, I never knew you? I don't want to hear that. You know, Paul said he feared that he might himself be disqualified. Preaching to others, he said that I myself might be disqualified. So we, we need to be aware of our true state. And, you know, as many people can feel healthy and think they're healthy, and then all of a sudden a diagnosis. Now, how did that happen? How did that happen? I'm feeling great. I can't have this. But the same thing happens in our spiritual life. We can think we're doing okay. Well, I go to church. I read my Bible once in a while. Uh, especially if, you know, and, I'm, I'm, and I'm, I pray. If somebody asks me to pray, I'll pray. If, and, you know, they, they don't ask me to help, so I don't help, you know. I'm, I'm no big deal, right? So we think we're okay. When that's not what the Word of God says, we seek Him with all of our heart, right? Jesus said we're to bear our cross and follow hard after Him. Let me tell you something. God is calling for warrior Christians in this day we're living in. Passive Christians do nothing for God. They just get in the way. Lukewarm Christians will get in the way of the remnant church, let me tell you. They'll get in the way. They'll cause distractions. They'll, they'll cause disturbances. They'll lead people in a wrong direction. God is calling the remnant church to rise up and become those powerhouses. That he, and, he, and you can't do that if you're lukewarm. So I say, God, examine my heart. I don't want anything in me that's lukewarm. I don't want anything in me that's going to keep me from doing exactly what you've called me to do. I want to hear your voice, right? I want to love everybody. I want to love everybody. So we, we have, I was listening to a song this week, and I don't have the words to it, but it's by Casting Crown. It's called Slow Fade. Slow Fade. It's an old, old song. I think back in 08, 09 or somewhere along there. But it talks about, he says, you know, a family doesn't crumble in a day. A church doesn't crumble. A person doesn't crumble. And it's that first glance, and then you keep looking. It's that first taste, and you keep tasting. It's that first endeavor, and you keep going back to it. You can keep going back to that putrid well, and eventually you're going to see the full results of that fade in a nation doesn't crumble in a day the mess that's going on in our nation is it didn't happen overnight it's happened for decades and decades and decades so we we is i'll say it again the condition of the church directly uh the condition of the nation definitely the condition of the nation definitely reflects the condition of the church that's getting it back the condition of the nation will directly reflect the condition of the church do we believe that? We better believe it. As the church goes, so goes the nation. And I read this week, I think it was uh, Finney or someone said, I think it was Finney, he said that uh, you look at your nation, you blame the church. That's pretty much what Derek Prince said. You look at the nation and you blame the church. If the nation's in a mess, the church is in a mess. Because we've, had, we've lowered the standard and we've allowed people to get by with sin and called it righteousness. So the, the church of Laodicea was deceived Number one, that's God says you're wretched. That means you're of poor quality. They highly value themselves even though they, in reality, were poor. They think they knew more than they knew. They think they understood more than they understood. They think they were in better shape than they were in. And he says you're pitiful. You're pitiful. There's nothing worse than a person not knowing the real truth about themselves. How pitiful that is. You know, in, in the counseling, we can't help someone that's really not admitting their problem or their issue. We have people that come in and they'll say, I don't have the problem she does. You know, it's very simple. We know exactly. You get you right, the rest of the family's going to fall in place. We see it all the time. But he also said you're miserable. He said you're poor. 
That word poor is not just not having everything you need, but it's being in such a poor state that you're begging just to survive. You're begging to survive. He said you're blind. That means you don't understand. You might think you can see, but you can't really see truth. You can't really read the word of God and know what it's saying. And he says you're naked. It means that you're exposed. You're uncovered. You're uncovered. Luke 18, Jesus told his disciples, he says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter heaven. He wasn't saying that riches keep you out of heaven. What he was saying was that riches can be a great hindrance to going in. We have to get, get, does God care if you're wealthy? I think God wants you wealthy. I'll just be honest with you. God wants you wealthy. How are we going to fund things? You guys are so blessed. How did you fund those thousands of dollars into Nigeria and Uganda? Because God has blessed you. He has blessed you. And so God, I think God wants us to have wealth. He just doesn't want our wealth to have us. He doesn't want our wealth to have our heart. Lukewarmness also results in no spiritual insight. He said we were blind. Proverbs twenty nine eighteen says, Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. When there is no revelation from God, people get careless. When there's no revelation of what sin really is, people get careless. We all do, right? If we don't, Paul said, if I didn't know what coveting was, I would have, you know, I didn't know it was a sin until the law told me it was a sin. So many people don't understand what the word of God says about living a righteous and a pure and a holy life. We have to, we have to follow the word of God and we have to have eyes to see and ears to hear. This verse in Matthew thirteen fifteen, the hearts of these people are hardened. That, that word is also fat and their ears cannot hear and they have closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear and their hearts cannot understand and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. See, I've read this before and I thought, boy, Jesus, that was really cruel of you that you wouldn't heal these people. But he's not saying it that way. He's saying because of their hearts, they can't hear me. Because they've been dumbed down by this religious system, they can't hear me. Because they've been so dumbed down, they can't see. And because they've been so dumbed down, that they can't even come to me and understand that I can heal them and that I desire to heal them. I mean, most 30% of the people have never felt the presence of God in a service. That's incredible to me. But they're not aware and they can't hear the voice of God. And we need to hear the voice of God today. We need to hear the voice of God for everything we are involved in. Every step you take. Every move you make. Every move. I'll, I'll just, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail. We were getting ready to make a, a purchase twice this year. And it was a big decision. And twice we thought, okay, God, we, you know, we want to hear from you. And twice God said, not now. Twice he said, not now. And so I told Terry, I said, the Lord is also telling me if we push through again, he's going to let us have what we, we don't need. We can't push through that. I mean, we've got to hear the voice of God. We've got to trust him. And now we know why. We see so much that we're involved with the world, so much in our community. You know, we just got him. Terry's involved in more boards in our community now for, for the mental health side. He couldn't have done all of this. We're involved in a lot of things with other agencies. We're, we're trying to reach our community with the good news of Jesus. And what do we do? We get sidetracked. We get distracted. One of the big things that we have to work on is our distractions in life. Our distractions. Again, yesterday, the Lord said, you've got to get rid of distractions. And I'm telling you, that's a word for every one of you in here. You've got to get rid of distractions. What is it that keeps you away from God? And these may not necessarily be sinful things, but it's whatever we keep running to. You know what your distractions are. You know exactly what your distractions are. They may be different than my distractions. But we have to get rid of those distractions if we want to hear from I'm telling you, there's a day coming, and it's coming soon. It's coming Tuesday. When the world is going to not look like it normally looks, I believe. When there's going to be an uprising, but there's also going to be a false sense of security. I believe there's going to be peaceful times that are going to be coming, but it's going to be a false sense of security. That's all I'm going to say. That Lord spoke this to me so clearly yesterday at 4.30 in the morning. He awakened me. And he was just downloading. He said, get rid of distractions. Listen to my voice. Get closer than ever. There's an uprising coming. And I don't know if that means riot. I don't think it necessarily means riots. But I think there's an uprising coming in the hearts and lives of people. You know, there was a major earthquake just recently in Turkey. And I think 60 people are dead today. 
God is speaking. He's trying to get our attention. And we've got to decide who we're going to follow. We've got to decide what we're going to be faithful to. And we've got to let go of those things that so easily distract us. We've got to let them go. Also, we know that lukewarmness causes us to be ignorant to our own shame and sin. And, and, and what we do is we, in an, we make an effort to try to cover our own stuff like it's never, it's okay. You know, Genesis 3, 6, and 7, the woman was convinced that she saw that the tree was beautiful. Its fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that very moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame. But what did they do? Rather than going to God with their sin, what they, they tried to cover it themselves. And seeing this is what's happening in the body of Christ. We, get, we, we, we sin, and instead of going to God in repentance... Like Second Chronicles tells us, what we try to cover it. We try to make it okay. Well, everybody's doing it. It's okay. Everybody's doing it. We just cover it. We cover it with a label. We cover it with you know a false declaration. Everybody's doing it. My pastor says it's okay. If the Word of God doesn't say it's okay, it's not okay. It's not okay. You've got to make a decision. We've got to make a decision. So it causes us to hide from God and hide from truth. It causes us to compromise and become people pleasers. It causes us to attack others that are different than we are, to blame others for our situation. What did the woman say? Well, the serpent did it. What did Adam say? The woman you gave me. Why do we keep passing the blame? Rather than saying, okay, God, I just made a a foolish choice. I sinned, and I need for you to take away my shame. You know, I wonder what might have happened had they responded that way rather than trying to hide their sin. I wonder. God is so merciful. Would God have done things differently? I don't know. Maybe not. But would God have done anything differently had they gone to him and said, God, we've sinned. We listened to the wrong voice. You know, as a nation, we have sanitized sin. As a church, we have sanitized sin. And we've made some sins acceptable. And some sins, you know what they are. Revelations three eighteen through 22 says, this is, this is what the Lord said to them. This is what he would say to all of us. I advise you. He didn't say, you better do it. I advise you. To buy gold from me. Gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. And he says. And also buy white garments from me. So that you will not be shamed by your nakedness. And also I advise you to buy ointment from me. For your, so your eyes can see. And he said. I correct and discipline everyone that I love. So be diligent. And turn from your indifference. This is a word to the church. Turn from our indifferences. Our minds have been molded and hardened and shaped by an, an, a, the gospel of the world and not the gospel of the scriptures. He says, I'm, I, to be diligent, turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. And we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit. See, Jesus is saying it's a choice. It's a choice. It's a choice for me. It's a choice for you. We make that choice. He's standing and knocking at the door. What's he doing? He's, he's saying, I'm here for you. I want, I want you. As you're, I'm for you, not against you. I'm for you and not against you. He says, make a decision to turn back to me. Let go of everything that's stealing your first love. Keep your focus on me. Keep your eyes on me and not the things of the world. But he said, be diligent. That means showing care and conscientiousness in our attempt to serve God. And he said, I want to come in. What does that mean? He wants to have fellowship with us. He wants to have fellowship with us. You know, we, we said some of our Lazaruses don't look like what we all look like. You all guys look great. You're nice, dressed sharp, all the other things. But, you know, some of the guys that God's going to send us to may not look like you guys. They may not smell like you smell. But are we willing to reach out and touch those people and love those people and invite them to God has a place for you. God is for you. God is for you. He's not against you. He's not against you. So how do you know if you're a lukewarm Christian? How do you know if you're a lukewarm? The first question I would, or the first response I would have is if you have to ask, you probably are. If you have to ask, you probably are. But this is right out of Francis Chan's book, Crazy Love, and I think he said it best. You might be a lukewarm Christian if you don't really want to be saved from your sin. You might be, was it Jeff Foxworthy? You might be a lukewarm Christian if you don't want to be saved from your sin. 
You might be a lukewarm Christian if you are moved by stories about people who do radical things, yet you don't do anything radical for Jesus. We can talk all day. Aren't you sick and tired of hearing about all the great things that these people did? Let's, let's do some of those things. Let's turn a city upside down. Let's raise the dead. Let's cast out demons, right? You might be a lukewarm Christian if you equate your life as being partially sanitized rather than holy. Well, I just cuss a little. That wasn't such a bad movie. You know that you get it, right? Jesus didn't call us to be sanitized. He called us to discipleship. He called us to be holy. He called us to be set, set apart. You might be a lukewarm Christian if you rarely share your faith with your neighbors, your coworkers, or your friends. You might be a lukewarm Christian if you think about life on earth more than about eternity, life in eternity. Are we more consumed with, with everything going on here? Got to get my business going. I got to get my job going. I got to get this. I got to get that. I got to have this. I got to have that. Jesus says, lay up your treasures in heaven, not so much down here on the earth. You might be a lukewarm Christian if you love your luxuries and rarely give to the poor in a truly sacrificial way. I'll never forget a few weeks ago when that gentleman came in and had a need. And we know him, and we, we don't just do this for everybody, but he had a legitimate need. And you guys, we were just trying to get $600. You guys gave two grand, $2,000 you gave to help a brother that was in need. See, you gave out of your need rather than out of your abundance. I tell you, God, God appreciates that. If you live by, If you do not live by faith... You might be a lukewarm Christian. In other words, it's only about what you see. It's only about what you see. And not what by God's word promises he's going to supply our need, right? God's word promises that. So we may not see it, but it's, he promises we act in that accord. We don't, we're not foolish. You know, we live by faith when God says that you're, I'm the Lord God who heals your disease. And the doctor says you got six months, 12 months, two years, whatever it might be. I'm walking by faith, not by sight. God can heal me. Right? Or if we give God our leftovers, not our first and our best. You know, and busy schedules can cause this. Do we? I mean, I'm guilty of this. I'll get up in the morning and I'm, you know, after not sleeping but three hours, maybe through the night, and then I think, okay, i got to get my reading and praying in. Got to check off my list, you know. And, uh, and then I think, okay, I'll get it done tonight because I know I'm not going to give God my best. So I'll just do it tonight. And God doesn't care whether you do it morning or night. He doesn't care. And then something happens and you're 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night coming in. And so then another day has gone by, right? And so instead of making time for God, what I've done is made time for everything else. And God just kind of fills in if it works. Anybody else have struggles with that sometimes? I see that, yes. And it's easy. And what do we do? We justify it. Well, God, I was out doing this for you. We were talking the other day. We said, well, you know, if we're too busy to help people, we're too busy. If we're too busy to disciple, we're too busy. If we're too busy to love somebody that's hurting, we're too busy. And something needs to go. Amen. The sign of genuine saving faith is a passionate commitment to the fame of God, the people of God, and the mission of God. We say all the time we want to make God famous at impact. That's what we want to do. Not a person. So in verse 18, Jesus said, he said, I advise you to buy gold from me. Buying gold from Jesus, only he is our heart's treasure. Buy the white garments, only he is our righteousness. He covers our sin. He removes our sin. Buy ointments for our eyes, only Holy Spirit enables us to see. You can have 20 hundred letters after your name, but you know you can be blind as a bat and dumb as a brick, right? We've seen a few. <laughs> and you can have a sixth grade education and have so much wisdom. See, it's how much time do you spend with God? How much time are you into his word? Be diligent and turn from your indifference. Diligent, diligently repent of the hardness of your heart. Diligently repent. Invite Jesus to fellowship with you. Invite him into your life. Spend time in prayer with him. Make Jesus a priority rather than just an afterthought every day. You know, it probably wouldn't hurt, stand if you will, it probably wouldn't hurt some of us to turn off some things. 
probably wouldn't hurt some of us to turn off some things. We watch hardly any TV at all. Usually we'll put ourselves to sleep with, and that's about it. And that's, you know, what our favorite show is, Gunsmoke. <laughs> it's not very exciting. It's not very exciting. But it doesn't have curse words in it, and it doesn't have sexual innuendos in it. I haven't seen a single gay person in there, although, you know, we're not opposed to gay people. We love them. We just want to be right. We want to get everything God's got for them. We welcome all people here. But, you know, even sometimes it's, we can fill our lives with meaningless stuff. And you have to decide. I'm not here to tell you what to do. You guys have to decide for yourself. What is it that I really want from God? What do I, how, what do I want my life to really look like? How many want to do great things for God? Anybody? Anybody want to do great things for God? I want to do great things. Let me tell you, passive Christians don't do anything great. They don't do anything great. Compromising Christians don't do anything great for God. Dead churches don't do anything great for God except collect money. If they give it out a little bit, maybe once in a while. Maybe. If you want to do great, I want you just to come. If you want to be great for God, I want you to come. And I want to let this song be our prayer. We want a refiner's, I want a refiner's fire in my heart. I want a refiner's fire in my heart. And when we say that, we're saying, God, forgive me for every sin I've ever committed. Forgive me for that little thing that's in my heart right now, Lord, that maybe I thought it was okay because somebody told me it was okay. But your word clearly tells me it's not okay. Your word clearly tells me that. Forgive me for what I've made, taken approval on. Before I was born again, I thought nothing, no big deal about abortions. Get rid of it. I mean, that was truly it. Hard as a brick. Never thought anything about it. Never thought anything about living together. Never thought anything about it. People do it, do it. That makes you happy, do it. And when I got born again, let me tell you, nobody had to tell me those things were wrong. I didn't have to sit in the class and say these things are wrong. God shone in my heart the light of, of His purity and holiness. Let me tell you, nobody had to say a word to me. And I don't argue points with anybody. That's what the Word of God says. But every one of these things, lying, cheating. I've heard people say, I, I can lie and get what I want. Telling the truth, I won't. Not going to do anything great for God, are we? No, being dishonest. We're not going to do anything great for God. Sometimes it's those little things, jealousies in our life, in our heart. Maybe you're not doing any of the biggies, but you're doing the littlies, <laughs> if that's the word. You're doing the little things that rob us of our spiritual strength, our ability to see. God, let me tell you, a biggie is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. And sometimes we justify our unforgiveness. God, look what they did to me. And you know what God would say? Look what they did to me. And I forgave every one of them. Forgiveness is a choice. Somebody needs to hear this today, maybe out there. Forgiveness is a choice. It's a choice. If you make the first step, God's going to get in there and work in your heart to complete that act. A spiritual act of forgiveness and letting go because that will keep you from doing anything for God. Passive, lukewarm people do nothing great for the kingdom. I'm telling you, I'm getting older and I don't care. I feel like I got decades left. And I'm going to do more for God in my remaining decades than I ever did prior. How many can agree with me on that? Amen. Amen. Let's sing this song to the Lord. If the altar's where you meet us, take me there, take me there. What you need is just an offering. It's right here. My life is here, and I'll be your living sacrifice to you. You're a refiner, the refiner. I want to be consumed. I want to be tried by fire. 
something specifically for you to accomplish in life. Something great. I heard standing over there, there are no shortcuts in my kingdom. The church is looking for a shortcut. And I heard God say, when you stop looking for shortcuts, I will accelerate your progress. No shortcuts, but he will accelerate your progress. We look for the easy way. God said, I may want you to go that way. Well, God, it's so easier that way. The lesson to be learned is that way. But God will fast track us when we go his path, not ours. Amen. Amen. That's so true. You know, that song says, God, take what you desire. You know, that's a pretty bold prayer. God, I got, I'm laying it all here. You take away what you desire. And can we can trust him enough to do it and to be at peace with it. That's quite a that's quite a prayer to pray, but that's what we have to do. 
was it uh, Wesley, I believe Wesley said, what God could do, or maybe it was Moody, what God can do with one person who'll give 100% to God, he could change the world. He'll give 100% to God. You know, you me- we measure our own selves. We're not here to pinpoint anybody's stuff. You measure your own place with God. You measure your own status. You know, I can. I just want everything God has. I've never been more excited about life than I am today. I've never been more excited about the kingdom of God than I am today. I just wish I had a hundred more years to give. Of course, I'll probably wear out. But you know, we have to learn how to discipline. And when I say discipline, I'm talking about balance out our lives. We have to learn how to balance our lives so that we don't burn out for God. He, he doesn't want us burning out. You know, he wants us to be productive. He wants us to keep going. He doesn't want us to burn out. Neither does he want us to rust out either from not doing anything. So God, you hear our cry, Lord. We just say, take what you desire, Lord. We know it's almost hard to even pray that, God. Take what you desire. God, we hold so tightly to some things, but Lord, it's keeping us out of your will, God. God, we want your refiner's fire burning in our hearts, purifying our hearts, holy God. We know that nothing we hold on to has any value compared to what you have for us. God, I thank you for all you're doing in the lives of your people. Thank you, Father God, that we'll be known as a church that's on fire for you, a church that makes you famous, a church that brings glory to you, a church of people walk in the doors, Lord, and they're set free from bondages, addictions, sicknesses, Father. That's who we are. That's who we want to be. God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you're the Lord God who continues to heal spirit, soul, and body. God, we look to you and we look to your word alone. We believe it because your word tells it. Our eyes don't even believe what we see, but we believe it in our hearts because you say it. We're not looking at what man says. The fact might be this, but the truth is, God, you override the facts. Your truth is greater than many facts. So, God, I thank you for all you're doing in the lives of your people. I stand amazed, holy God, at what you've been doing in our lives here at this church, in our lives individually, Lord. I stand amazed, holy God, at the miracles that you're performing. Thank you, God, at the blessings that you're bringing into our lives. God, it's amazing to me. I'm speechless. God, thank you. And Lord, I just pray blessing upon every person here. Lord, let our eyes be open. Let our ears be open. Let our hearts be free. God, that we can come to you and and receive the healing that we need. We declare it in the mighty name of Jesus, and we thank you for it. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. Be blessed. Have a wonderful day.